0: If you got your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah chapter one, and First Kings chapter eighteen, um, I want to invite uh, uh, those of you who are watching online with us today, wherever you are. If you're near the DC area, roll up your windows. Okay, uh, don't open the windows; it will be very cold. All right, but uh, roll up the window shades so that you can see outside. Um, it's almost like today here being in this space; it's like we're in a snow globe. You know what I mean? Got all this beautiful stuff going on outside, and uh, again, just wanted you guys to get to kind of see. And uh, we have. A great illustration uh, as we get started today. Isaiah chapter 1, and then we're going to jump back into our story in 1 Kings chapter 18. As you're flipping that direction, got kind of a sad question to start with today, and that is this Have you ever screwed up something really badly before? Okay, again, just a chance to be honest, not going to make you like call out your story or anything, uh, but uh, I'm telling you, there's some times in this life uh, where there are some things that take place that uh, we honestly are a bit ashamed of the way that they unfold and they come together. And I'd I'd planned on preaching this sermon, but I had something this week that happened uh, that really filled this illustration for me. And so, uh, good news is my mom just got engaged. And so uh, my, uh, my dad passed away of pancreatic cancer uh, almost six years ago, It'll be six years ago in April, and uh, my mom met and fell in love with a man uh, named uh, Kim Lanier uh, from Edmond, Oklahoma. And so uh, my mom, a lifelong Texan, is going to be moving to the great state of Oklahoma, uh, heading that direction, and uh, um, anyway, got to go. And uh, this, uh, this last week, right after church was over on Sunday, our Sunday night activities, um, I got to uh, hop on a plane and fly to Texas, and uh, my mom, something crazy happened. She sold her house 48 hours before it ever hit the market, and so uh, it was just amazing the way that the timing came together, and the Lord was was clearly in that, uh, but uh, it meant that um, someone needed to come and pick up a bunch of my dad's stuff, again, so that she can get ready to start her new life, and uh, again, some of you in this room have gone through that uh, before, where you have a loved one that's either passed away or circumcised Circumstances have taken place where you become the keeper of a lot of the heirloom stuff, you know, from the uh, from the life that uh, that's been lived. And so, I had the opportunity to go down. I flew to Texas, packed up the car with the stuff, and then drove it cross country. This is actually the second time I've been in this snowstorm uh, because I was in it on Tuesday in Missouri. And so, uh, all that to say, it's uh, it's definitely better the second time around. But uh, um, anyway, all that to say, uh, had this moment where something happened, and uh, if you guys have ever had this experience before. I'm packing up my dad's stuff. But I also came across some of my old stuff and uh, I'm 39 years old, turned 40 in August and uh, when you're 39 years old, there are some things in the way that you used to be and there are things in the way that you are now and so um, I'm packing up dad's stuff but it was impossible to also not see some of my stuff in there and I'm going to be honest with you, I laughed a lot, I smiled a lot and then I grimaced at a few things uh, because they were parts of me. I'm not talking about a bad haircut. I'm talking about things in my past where honestly I'm very, very grateful to Almighty God that that's not who I am anymore. And uh, there are some of you in this room, I couldn't help but wonder, if maybe, just maybe, you are carrying around some of that baggage, some things that you might be ashamed of from your past, things that you got entangled in uh, that, again, are not who you are now, but sometimes that sin comes knocking at the door to try to remind you that you're not perfect. Well, I've got a great verse for you or if you're someone who's been stuck in something we can find freedom from the same passage today look at isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 and then for some of you look outside at the snow as we read this passage here's what it says come now let us reason together says the lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be what white as snow Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Now stop right there for just a minute. No better example on the snow day than though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Have you ever gotten something, uh, something uh, stained before that was white or again that was a light color? It just seems like all you can see is that stain that's on that item. The picture here from Almighty God is that he is able to take that thing and cleanse it to where it is better than New in that circumstance now just for the record the power comes for me at the beginning of verse 18 even though we have that beautiful picture of the skin sins are scarlet but they shall be as white as snow and again we have that it's red as crimson but they shall be like wool the whole passage starts together it starts with come now and let us reason together says the Lord now don't miss this our God is reasonable in the way that he deals with our sin and the subject of our sin God is not erratic angry and unreasonable in fact the words here through Isaiah are come and let us what let's reason together and then we'll talk about sin we'll talk about its we'll talk about what it's done to your life and we'll talk about what we can do moving forward God is not unreasonable with you in fact it says in scripture that Jesus was tempted in all ways and yet without sin There is probably no one in the universe that understands sin better than Jesus because it was placed on his shoulders. He lived a sinless life, and yet he bore the weight of the sin of the world. God is not unreasonable in his dealings with us. If you're taking notes, um, Just a little example for you. Some of you waited tables in the past. I think probably for me the best example of reasonable and unreasonable uh, can be understood in waiting tables. Now, I waited tables in the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. All right, four and a half years. Loved my experience there. Um, But some of you who waited tables before will have this understanding. Sam, I mean, you know. When you wait tables, there's a term, double-sat and triple sat, okay? What double sat and triple sat means that they sit tables in your section to wait on at the exact same time. Double sat means two, triple sat means three, and it can go all the way up, but really double and triple sat are the typical typical ones that you struggle with. Here's the problem with that. When they sit a table at the exact same time, they are on the same eating schedule. And the way that tables typically work, if they're sat at the same time, they're expecting to order at the same time, they're expecting their drinks at the same time, and they finish their first drink at the same time as well. It was not uncommon when I was waiting tables at Red Lobster in Stillwater, Oklahoma, to see somebody come to the table and they would go, son, which by the way, I was not their son, but they would always say son. Son, if my Dr. Pepper ever goes below half full, it's coming out of your tip. You know how many times I got to hear Hear that on the days growing up. In fact, we had a, a promotion called Endless Shrimp. We loved it when it was called All-You-Can-Eat Shrimp. Endless Shrimp sounded hopeless. You know what I mean? Just Endless Shrimp, right? I'll just be bringing this to them forever, right? Anyway, all that to say, sometimes they would say, son, with Endless Shrimp, they'd go, if my plate is empty, you got two minutes to bring me another one, or it's coming out of your tip." Now, here's the deal. That is irrational behavior, right? You got to know that sometimes it is difficult to get people to stuff that happens in the kitchen, they run out of things at different points and it is not the server's fault always for the struggle that you have at the table. When you are double and triple set and they're on that same schedule, somebody is going to suffer of those two or three tables. It's why we would go and yell at the host or the hostess if they ever did that to us. You got to give us a little bit of delay even though it clears the lobby because somebody is going to behave irrationally. Now it never failed there was, also, there was also typically one of the tables who'd probably waited tables themselves that saw when you got triple set, and every now and again I'd have someone very rationally when I'd come to the table go, hey, go take those two tables' orders first. We all came in at the same time. We want you to know that we can wait and we understand that you got put in a hard spot. That rational thought takes all the pressure off and then you're able to run and take care of some other things uh, while that table is just waiting to get picked up. Now here's the thing. Silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. God doesn't look at you and go, my glass better not ever be half full with half full or lower with Dr. Pepper. The Lord doesn't look at you and expect you in an irrational manner to live your life. He says, come, let's reason together. I'm reasonable. I know it's hard to be you. I know it's hard to live in a sinful world, and then he says, "And when you do screw up, though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them white as snow." There is a path to forgiveness with Almighty God, and some of you desperately need to hear that today. I know that I have in my life. If you're taking notes, our big, or as we take, as if you're taking notes, our first quote today: "Those who dream of forgiveness can find it today." Those who dream of forgiveness can find it today. There are some of you in this room who have been carrying the weight of poor financial decisions. Some of you carrying the weight of poor relationship decisions. Some of you carrying the weight of things that you've said, of things that you've done, on the full end of the spectrum that have just been weighing you down, and it's like a shame monkey on your back that you just seem to have to carry with you everywhere you go. You can find forgiveness today. And I want to show you how to get there through 1 Kings chapter 18. If you're taking notes, our big million dollar question, how do you find forgiveness today? This is for believers in Jesus Christ and also for those of you who have not believed in Jesus yet. How do you find forgiveness for your sin? Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18 and we're gonna jump back into our story of Elijah starting in verse 30. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. You remember our story starts in chapter 18 uh, with Elijah uh, and Elijah has uh, has uh, prayed that there would not be any rain that would fall in the land for three and a half years. This is at the Lord's request, but he prays that there would be no rain that would fall, and so then Elijah is in the wilderness, but no rain falls in Israel for three and a half years, and during that time period, uh, again, the, uh, there's a drought, and because of that, there are no crops for them to eat. Uh, there is no water for them to drink, except the last little bit that's left over, and uh, you also have no work for the people because in agriculture, economy, there are no crops to harvest at this point. And so, they're out of work, they're broke, they're hungry. I mean, this is as dire a situation as you get. The pandemic that they're living in this time period is very, very intense. Well, finally, the Lord says, go back and I want you to show yourself to King Ahab and set up a showdown. So, Elijah shows back up. King Ahab, who has employed the prophets of Baal, the ones that we talked about last week, says, it's you, you troubler of Israel. Elijah then looks at the people and says, how long will you waver? between two opinions. If Baal is God, serve him. But if Yahweh, the one true God, is God, then serve him. The people then are silent. So Elijah comes up with an idea. He says, how about this? How about if we offer each of us a sacrifice to our God on an altar, but we call on our God to light the fire? He says, you call prophets of Baal, you call on Baal, the false God, to light the fire from heaven. And I will call on Yahweh, the one true God, to send fire from heaven to light the altar. The people look and they go, what you say is good. Let's make this thing happen. And last week we talked about the prophets of Baal and what it looks like to worship beyond your physical limitations but not founded in the truth of who God is. It says that they call out to their God from morning till noon. Elijah then looks at them and says, hmm, what do you know? A false God that doesn't exist didn't send any fire. He says, hmm, maybe he's a God. Surely he's asleep and just needs to be awakened. He begins to taunt them. So then it says the prophets of Baal begin to run around the altar to shout louder and to cut themselves with swords because Baal is a god of human sacrifice. If effort could have sent fire, they put forth the effort. But Baal doesn't exist. He's not real. So it says, no one responded, no one even paid attention. The prophets of Baal have had this moment and the people of Israel in between Elijah and those prophets have just watched What a life, apart from forgiveness, apart from godliness and righteousness produces, it produces frantic worship of a God that cannot and will not send fire. So then we get to chapter 18, verse 30. It's Elijah's turn. Here's what it says. It says, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. Now stop right there for just a second. You have to picture this. Everything for the last at least six hours has been focused around what the prophets of Baal are doing and the lunacy of Baal worship. But all of a sudden, it's Elijah's turn, and Elijah says on the other side, Hey, come unto me. I want you to notice this. Elijah is not running and clamoring for their attention. Elijah says, it's my turn. Come to me. When it comes to forgiveness and repentance, there is a movement on your part that has to take place for the journey to begin. Now look at what happens next. Elijah said, come to me. It says they came to him. Look at this. And he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. Underline, he repaired the altar of the Lord. That's a powerful principle. And Elijah took 12 stones. Underline 12 stones. One for each of the 12 tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, you shall be Israel. Stop right there for just a minute. Remember, the crowd is from the nation of Israel. It's the entire country up there on the mountainside. And Elijah goes up and says, come here to me. Come to this side. And he takes an altar that is not something new that he has built. It is the old altar of the Lord that was in ruins. The picture there is our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is not a new theology that needs to be crafted. God is who he is. God is the I am. He takes the altar that's in ruins and he begins to rebuild it. What a beautiful picture of restoration and forgiveness on this mountainside. He repairs the altar of the Lord and then he does make one addition. Around the altar he he takes 12 stones, one symbolic for every one of the 12 tribes in Israel. What would have happened to the crowd is they would have seen the 12 stones and would have gone, Joseph, this is your stone. Dan, this is your stone. Naphtali, this is your stone. They would have gone down. Issachar, this is your stone. And as it goes around the altar, they would have seen this sacrifice is being offered for us. It's not just done for the crowd, but it's done for me and my people specifically. If you're taking notes, how do you find forgiveness from your sin? Number one, you must return to the truth. You must return to the truth. You cannot find forgiveness if you are still living in your own excuses for why the sin took place. You have to own it before you give it to Jesus. You have to embrace the truth. How in the world do we do that? Because scripture lights the way. It shows us what the truth is. Like it or not, there is a movie series, okay, a film series, that has grossed just about as much money as all but about five or six film series out there. And that is... The Fast and the Furious series, okay? Okay, there's like nine, eight or nine Fast and the Furious movies out there. How many of you have at least seen one of them? Raise your hand. There you go. I mean, I'm telling you, that's how it works, right? I saw the original. I did not see Tokyo Drift. All right, I need to, all right? But, uh, and then Autumn and I went to see, I think it was Fast Five. I can't remember. All that to say, the Fast and the Furious movies, like it or not, have influenced our culture, okay? It's about street racing, kind of this underground street racing. And in the original movie, Paul Walker, uh, the great Paul Walker, Plays an undercover FBI agent uh, who's trying to bust up the street racing ring that are also uh, robbing these different trucks and hijacking these trucks and stealing the electronics. And so, uh, again, great series. Um, but it also introduces Vin Diesel in the road of his life and then the role of his lifetime, Toretto. In fact, I think Vin Diesel every character he's ever played is just a variation of Toretto. Okay, and so all that to say, he's the guy who's kind of the, the the ringleader of this uh, of this uh, racing group, and he's the the Guru, if you ever saw Point Break, he's kind of the Patrick Swayze character from Point Break. Again, tried to disciple him in the ways of the street racing. And uh, so, sure enough, this guy, Brian Spillner, played by Paul Walker, the whole story starts with him trying to infiltrate and figure out if this guy is the head of this ring that's stealing all this stuff. And so, in the story, he ends up embracing the lifestyle. He ends up sympathizing with everything that's going on with their family, ends up falling in love with Toretto's sister. And it culminates in this scene where they're in this FBI safe house and Paul Walker gets to hear from one of the other FBI agents where he goes, "Uh, I think that Toretto's the one who's doing this. And Paul Walker gets so angry and takes a swing at the guy and he's just like, no, man, don't say that, don't say that. And then the old FBI agent, the one who's really been mentoring the Paul Walker character, he stops and he goes, it's Toretto, Brian. It's always been Toretto. Silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. In the end... It didn't matter how badly he wanted it to be somebody else. It didn't matter how many conspiracy theories he came up with that it could have been another group. It didn't matter, again, if he could find a way to cover it up. It still was always gonna be Toretto as the one who was orchestrating the robberies, who was doing this awful thing. And the same thing is true with our sin. The truth is the truth is the truth. And you cannot find forgiveness. If you don't embrace that the truth is the truth, is the truth. If you're taking notes, how do we know what the truth is? The scripture will light the way. It says in Psalm 119, 105, for those of you who are in the strand, you know this verse well. David writes this, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Remember, the reason lamp and light are used here is lamp means that God's word is perfect to shine step by step, moment by moment, day by day, but God's word is also macro. It is a big, bright, shining light to light our path and show us the purpose of our lives and where we're headed in the long term as well well, if scripture calls it sin, it will always be sin. No matter how much we lobby, no matter how we vote, no matter what society has to say, God's word is God's word. How do you find repentance? How do you find forgiveness? You got to return to the truth. When I dug through the boxes of my dad's stuff, I was reminded of a big mistake that I made growing up. I looked at the pictures of my graduation, and there was a young woman that I dated for several months, and I was 17 when I moved off to school. See, you're hearing some of the excuses even now. I was 17 when I moved off to school. I was 17 on the first day of school at Oklahoma State, and um, we'd been dating for several months, went to senior prom together, And when I moved off to school, I did one of the worst things I've ever done in my whole life. I ghosted her. It was awful. I am still ashamed to this day, as a 39-year-old man, that I ghosted this woman. And I remember thinking, I'm 17, this is a lot of pressure, I'm out here by myself, and I remember thinking all these different things. She'll understand, da 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 and yet... I was still a man at this point, in my 30s, going, I can't believe that guy would do that. The same person who's standing up here on the stage before you would have done something that foolish. I felt deeply convicted about this. There's a good end to that story. I felt deeply convicted about this about 10 years ago. And I reached out and I apologized. And I think I started it off to the tune of, you probably don't remember, but of course she remembered. It was awful. I thought that it would have taken an extended amount of time. Her Response comes back almost immediately. I said, I blew it. I screwed up and I just wanted you to know, even though we're way past that, it still haunts me that I behaved that way. She responded back in such kindness, all class, and said, no problem, we've gotten older. And then she put, I'm so grateful to get to see pictures of your beautiful family on Facebook. And it was just the classiest, kindest response there ever could have been. Now listen to me. The truth is the truth is the truth. I was young, but young or old, you don't do that to somebody. Do you hear me? Young or old, you don't do that to somebody. Some of you got junk that you're carrying and it's time to find forgiveness the first thing you gotta do is own your part. Own part of what you did that was wrong so that then you can move forward. What does God God say in Isaiah? Come and let us reason what? Together. That word come is so important. It's the same word that Elijah uses. The idea is you putting forth the effort to come to the table, to come to the discussion. Is that a good word, Luke? You got to own the truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Have you lost your way? Have you lost your way? Go to the light, go to Scripture. Have you lost your way? Sin, your purpose, understanding, are you seeking restoration? You can find it by going to God's Word. Now look at what happens next. 1 Kings chapter 18, and now let's read verses 32 through 35. So again, Elijah says, come unto me. He repairs the altar. This is the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. He then puts the 12 stones out. And now look at verse 32. He does another addition here. It says, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. This, that's a deep trench. That's not even a trench. That's like a moat. He digs a moat around this altar. It says, he arranged the wood, and he cut the bull into pieces. Underline, he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third Time he said, and they ordered and he ordered again and they did it a third time. Now the water ran down the trench. Don't miss this. Ran down the trench, around the altar, and ran down the altar, around the altar, and even filled the trench. Now stop there for just a minute. You got to picture this. The other altar, most likely, is just a bowl that's set up on the altar. But Elijah takes the time to chop that sucker into pieces. Here's why that's important. If any of you have ever been to a butcher shop before or around me in that circumstance. A fresh bull in that situation would have had a lot of blood around it. And that's the picture you don't need to miss with this. From the first word in Genesis to the final stroke of the pen in Revelation, all of Scripture is a big neon sign pointing to Jesus, and there's a particularly big neon sign right here in this passage. Remember, altar in the middle, the 12 stones symbolizing everyone in the crowd and their families and their people around, and he's dug a trench around it to symbol the land, the people, not just the people of Israel, but the promised land itself. So what does he do? He chops the bull into bloody pieces and then says, bring me the most precious commodity that we have during a time of drought and famine. Bring me 12 buckets of water and we're going to dump it on this bad boy. The water was not just to be a precious resource. The water was to bring the blood so that it came down and covered everything. All the tribes of Israel and also the land in which they had defiled that's the picture there in the passage no one in that crowd with a jewish upbringing could have watched what elijah had done there and not seen he is covering our sin and the sin of our land if you're taking notes watch this or, 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 or write this down how do you find forgiveness for your sin number one you return to the truth and number two you must be washed in the blood you must be washed in the blood. I cannot tell you exactly why the Lord chose for it to be this way, but Scripture tells us in Hebrew chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God takes sin that seriously, that it is a blood sacrifice that must take place when sin is present. And here's the picture. The blood covers all the people, and it covers the land for the sins that have been committed. If you're taking notes, write this down. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can remove the stain of sin. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can remove the stain of sin. We find in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, that Christ died once for all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Christ's blood was so powerful His blood covers everything that you ever could have done. There's nothing we can do to get to God on our own. It's the same reason that just like this altar, they're asking for God to send the fire. Don't miss this. Look at my eyes. There is nothing you can do to light the fire so that God will receive your sacrifice. But Jesus paid it all. He took our place and he did the work that none of us ever could have done. I'm the type of person, if I've hurt somebody, and some of you in this room, I've hurt you. If I've hurt somebody, I really try my very best to atone for it. I realize the theology that Christ's blood is the only thing that can atone, but I really do try, I really do try. And an example of that happened Back when I was a kid, my mom used to buy us one pair. My mom and dad used to buy us one pair of shoes for the year. And uh, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And um, you try to wear it. As a grown man, I wear out pairs of shoes, and I don't do those things anymore. But I would get one pair of shoes to play all those different athletic events, and I usually would get it around Christmas time. Well, back in the day, there was a, uh, a pair of shoes that had come out called the Reebok Pumps. How many of you remember the Reebok Pumps? Raise your hand. You remember those? We're old. Congratulations, all right? Okay, the Reebok Pumps were these shoes, and they had on the front end this kind of basketball-looking thing and a release button, and you pumped up the shoes, and it would create air pockets around your foot. It actually was incredibly uncomfortable if you ever put air in them, uh, but, man, it looked really, really cool. Shaquille O'Neal was the rookie of the year that year. That'll show you again how long ago this was, but Shaq was the one who, who kind of was the, uh, the one who started wearing the Reeboks. And so I'll never forget, we go into the South Plains Mall in Lubbock, Penney's, great place to buy shoes uh, when you're a kid. And uh, I remember going in and uh, they only had one pair of pumps in my size left and they were completely white. okay. Now, just for the record, even as a grown adult man, I feel like there is no more beautiful pair of shoes than a beautiful white pair of tennis shoes. I just just love it. But when you are a seventh grade boy, there is nothing more dangerous than a completely solid white pair of tennis shoes, let alone these pumps so my mom tells me I'll buy you these shoes but she said it's a terrible idea and you're going to get them dirty immediately you'll get them dirty in the first week and I was like no way no way I'm going to really take care of these sure enough I got them dirty the very first week All right, they had just tilled up the soil so that they could plant the cotton seed at a a field that was right across the street from where we lived and uh, I'll never forget I went out in those shoes because I wanted to show them off to my best friend Jonathan we stepped out on that uh, on that terrain and if you've ever stepped on a freshly tilled patch of soil like that. I stepped and I sunk into the mud. And then I thought I need to use my other foot to push this shoe out. So I started to push. And when I did, I sunk even further and it went so far down in the mud. I pushed my, I pulled my foot out and the shoe sunk into the mud, completely submerged. I mean, even the inside is filling with mud at that point. I tried to pull the other one out. I mean, at least they were, you know, congruent, right? At least they were the same, right? Okay, they both had sunk into the mud completely, inside and out. My buddy Jonathan's cracking up. He's excited because his mom didn't buy him pumps, and he was glad that mine were ruined. And so I remember just thinking to myself, this is awful. I go back home, and I say to my mom, Mom, you were right. I ruined my shoes and she goes yep you sure did and I go I guess I need to go to the mall so that we can get some new ones and she goes "Uh, I don't think so she said I'm thinking more of a 99 cent fix to this she went and bought me some scrubber shoe polish some scrubber polish and I scrubbed and I scrubbed and I scrubbed that white canvas trying to get it clear again trying to get it clean again Needless to say, after hours of scrubbing, I was left with limited edition tan (laughs) Reebok pumps. It didn't come out. I scrubbed, and I scrubbed, and I scrubbed. I put forth the effort, kids. I put forth the effort, and it still could not be clean. And then I had to wear those shoes for a year. My mom didn't buy me new shoes, and it wasn't because she wasn't a good mom, quite the opposite. I needed to learn that lesson. So I wore those stained shoes. Listen to me, there's some of you who've made mistakes and that's what it feels like walking around in that mistake. You walk around in those shoes and you feel like everybody who looks at me sees that I'm sinful, sees that I've made mistakes. Can I tell you the good news today? Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white like snow. The blood of Jesus Christ can do what no amount of effort can do. The blood of Jesus Christ can do what no amount of scrubbing can do. God sent his son because he knew it was too heavy a thing for us to lift on our own. It begs the question, and this is probably the most important question you'll hear all day. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? Whether you were saved or not, have you trusted Jesus with that mistake that you've made? And have you allowed the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover you so that you can be healed? Let's keep moving. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's look at verses 36 through 39. We now get the heart of the story. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now stop there for just a second. As powerful a preacher as Elijah was, one of the scholars that I read on this particular passage says this is the largest segment of preaching that Elijah does in the entire story of Elijah, is this very simple prayer right here. Look at what it says. Verse 36 again. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Notice the desperation here in verse 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Stop right there for just a minute because you have to simmer on the desperation of Elijah before the power of the miracle. How could Elijah possibly have the courage to stand up in that moment and to ask God for the fire from heaven when the prophets of Baal have just done nothing with it? In fact, the way it's set up the prophets of Baal have already lost. The best they can hope for is a draw. And so now, as long as no fire falls from heaven for Elijah, guess what they're going to do? They're going to raise up and go, Baal was a god, of human sacrifice. That's the human that's been causing us all sorts of trouble. Maybe we were sacrificing the wrong thing instead of the bull. Let's put him on the altar. Let's kill him in front of all these people. Elijah knows that in this moment. And yet, he has the courage to stand up and say, Lord, answer me, answer me and not just for me. Lord, answer so that you can turn their hearts back that they might experience the forgiveness that is available to them, that they might be white as snow. How in the world can Elijah do that? Don't miss this. Because of what we studied starting in chapter 17. Remember, he speaks out against what's happening in Israel and then says it will not rain and then he runs into the wilderness and then two times a day ravens with the small beaks bring him bread. Two times a day, a brook in the midst of of a famine begins to bring him water. And then when the water runs out, God sends him to the next set of ravens. He sends him to the widow who has just enough for one more meal, just enough oil and flour for one more meal for she and her son. And yet for years, she is able to bring that out and take care of him. How is Elijah able to have the power to stand up on that day and cry out to almighty God in a moment where everything is on the line? Because for three and a half years, he trusted God multiple times a day every day for his very survival. Don't miss this. There's some of you in this room who have gotten to a point where you look at God and go, God, why in the world is this bad stuff happening to me? Why am I having to endure so much? Remember, the sinful world is not God's fault. It's our fault. When God allows you to endure the sinful world, he is preparing and crafting you for a moment like the moment of Elijah. When you are ready to stand up on behalf of Almighty God and bear faith and courage unparalleled, and the rest of the world looks at you and goes, I can't believe you were able to do that. That's Elijah in this moment. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me in desperation. I can't do this without you. And bring these people to repentance. Now look at what happens. The miracle. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice. Listen to this. The wood the stones, the soil and it also licked up all the water in the trench. Now stop right there for just a minute. Two schools of thought here. One is that it's a fireball sent from heaven itself. There's another possibility. One scholar wrote that maybe this is a meteorite that has come down to slam into the ground and destroy this altar at the same time. Can I tell you why I don't mind either one? One of them is heavenly and a beautiful miracle. The other also took just the same same amount of miracle because you think about God thousands of years before, nudging that meteorite at just the right time, that it would circle through the universe and slam down right there at that moment, either way you view it, it's an amazing miracle of Almighty God. Either you see God as someone who has, again, evolved his plan over time, where he's slamming that down through this awesome event, or whether he's done it in an instant, God's power is visible in that moment, and it doesn't just light the fire, it consumes everything. The picture there is, again, whether it be the... A sacrifice on the altar, whether it be the rock symbolizing the sacrifice for the tribes of Israel, whether it be the trench symbolizing the sacrifice for the land that's been defiled, the Lord receives the sacrifice. And look at what it says, verse 39. It says, And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. Underline that word prostrate. They cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Y'all know what prostrate means? (laughs) Prostrate (laughs) means your arms out, your toes pointed together, and your face to the ground. The idea with prostrate is I belong to you and I am in complete submission to you. You could step on my arm and break it because it belongs to you. You could step on my leg and break it because it belongs to you. You could step on my neck and snap it because my very life belongs to you. What the people have done here is they have fallen prostrate on the ground to say to Almighty God, You are in control. It's a posture of repentance the posture of seeking forgiveness if you're taking notes write this down are you ready how do you find forgiveness of your sin you got to return to the truth you got to be washed in the blood and number 3 you have to earnestly pray you have to earnestly pray the earnest prayer of Elijah is answer me oh lord answer me and the earnest prayer of the people is lord We submit to you. We own the sin that we've committed and we also thank God for the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf. In our case, through the shed blood of Jesus. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Last quote today. Part of forgiveness is asking for it. Let me say it again. Part of forgiveness is asking for it. My granddad, Dennis, one of my heroes, he was my mom's dad, my granddad, Dennis, used to close every prayer he prayed with the family the same way. And I didn't understand it when I was younger, but I get it now. He would close the prayer, and by the way, Megan, you'll appreciate this, he was a submarine trainer in World War II, lived in Oregon, and uh, uh, was a Texan Texan by birth. Or actually, he was born in Arizona. It's a long story. Born in Arizona, okay, moved to Texas, uh, and then uh, was a printer. Uh, he was actually the mayor of a little town called Gordon, Texas, uh, years and years ago, and then uh, was submarine trainer in Oregon. And uh, he closed every prayer the same way. And sometimes he would get emotional as he prayed it. But he would say, forgive us wherein we fail you, and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Every time he prayed, he would close it that way. It wasn't until later that we realized he had some pretty heavy things that he was carrying, and he trusted the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover those things. The heroes that I have in my life are not men and women that were perfect, but rather men and women who clung to Christ as best they could, and then tried to be a reflection of him moving forward from this day forward. And that should be the call for each one of us as well, but you have to earnestly and honestly ask God for help. It begs our final question today, have you faithfully asked God for help? Have you faithfully asked God for help? It's a great little verse, y'all don't have to put it up, but James chapter five, verse 16, is the famous verse where it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Can I tell you what a young Christian thinks when they hear that? I gotta find a righteous person and get them to pray for me, all right? Can I tell you what you learn as you get older? What James is trying to teach us there is that when we follow God and strive to live as righteous, covered in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that then our prayers are powerful and effective. And that is my prayer for you today. Guys, thanks for listening. Forgiveness is a heavy subject, but there are some of you here today, I guarantee you, who desperately needed this message. Don't tune out. The best part of the service are these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I'd like to ask nobody to look around today. In fact, as the band comes up here on this one, I'd like to ask even the band to kind of look away during this time. And for those of you watching online, please draw a circle around yourself and really focus on what the Lord is saying to your heart today. With nobody looking but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time that I own my sin that I own the part of what I've done that truly is indefensible with nobody looking around but just me if that's you I just want to pray for you if you are owning your sin today if you would just lift your hand where you are right now thank you thank you thank you y'all can put your hands down that took a lot of guts I've been in that circumstance and all I'd lifted were just a couple of fingers because I didn't want anybody to know that's you, I understand too. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. Moving forward, just tell God, I did this and I'm sorry. I did this and I'm sorry. Not defending it like I did for so long. I was just a kid. Not defending it like I did. The circumstances were difficult. But truly just going, the truth is the truth. And Lord, I'm sorry. If that's you, pray that simple prayer. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's been a long time, but I need to trust Jesus. Remember, it says in scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, for the very first time today, I am trusting Jesus and His shed blood to cover my sin. With nobody looking but just me, we call that being saved. Your sin's no longer counted against you. If that's you and you are praying that for the very first time, like some did last hour, if that's you, I just want to ask you if you would have the courage to lift your hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. It takes a lot of courage that's you I just want to talk to you after this is over come tap me on the shoulder on your way out and let me know that you're making that decision today and then maybe there are some of you who are believers in Jesus Christ and the truth is you've returned to the truth you've been washed in the blood but it's time you earnestly prayed and asked God for forgiveness Scripture tells us if we confess our sins god is faithful and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness but there is power in that moment of confession in earnestly praying falling prostrate before the lord either literally or figuratively and claiming lord you are god lord i submit to you in all things with nobody looking but just me is there anyone here today that would say zach Would you pray for me? It's time I earnestly started praying about this and asking God for help. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. Thank you. I've been there. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you, but this is truly between you and God. Find a way in these next moments, in this last song we sing together, to fall prostrate before the Lord. You don't have to do it literally. It doesn't do very good social distance in here, all right? With your heart before God, fall prostrate before Him and just tell Him, I'm sorry. Throw this sin as far as the east is from the west. Lord, keep your promise and scrub it white as snow. Cry out to God with that request and He will hear it. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for Elijah. Lord, thank you that the truth is the truth. I pray that we would embrace it today. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is only by his stripes that we are healed. And Lord, we thank you that we can go to you and ask you for help and you hear us. Hear the prayers of those who have earnest hearts today. In Jesus' name.